Since I have a mic, I can say thank you. We love serving in ministry at this church. We came here, and I told Missy we have to stay at least for 10 years. And we hit that 10-year mark, and I said, we're going to stay at least another 10, and then maybe more. We'll see what God does. So we just really enjoy it, and we thank you for letting us minister here. <laughs> That's unplanned. Okay, uh, get, I'm going to get to our message today. Um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to James chapter 4, although we're going to bounce around all over the place in the Bible today. Most of the time when I preach, I have one passage and I walk through it verse by verse. Every now and then I'll do a topical sermon and I'm going to show you different places in the Bible that I'll talk about the same topic. Today, the title of the message is Friendship in Membership. Now, I feel like this is one of the great values of our church. If you look on the side, we have Christ, community, and culture. This really ties into the community part. Last week, the message I gave really tied into the culture because I was saying to you, you got to go out and live in the culture and make an impact in the culture. So today, this focuses a little bit on membership, and so it's tying some of our values together. Over the next few weeks, the messages will be about the values of our church. We cycle through this. We try to preach on it once a year because our church... Uh, changes over a lot with people in the summer, and we need to introduce our values, but also always reinforce them. So we're going to be um, talking today about friendship within the membership of God's body of believers. Let me read to this, this passage. Uh, James 4, 4 says, <clears throat> Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Lord, I just pray that today as we look at God's word, that you will show us how many different places in your word where you're really saying the same thing to us. And it's about how we grow in Christ and who we are supposed to connect to and able for that to happen. I lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I wanted to start with this picture. Woo! That's from last night, the Harvest High School boys team that I coach, uh, we won the championship. Now, we won, this was the, the champion versus champion game. We won the championship of, of the private school league, and last night was private, private school versus the public school league, and it was a great game. And there's another picture. Uh, it shows the whole team there. I just had to pick one out. That was Josiah, who actually scored the first goal in the game. And uh, the excitement and energy. But it didn't start here. This is the picture you, you really need is the foundation that was laid in the very beginning. And what, I, what we did is you could go all the way back to the summer. And I said, <clears throat> team, come together. The first two weeks, I put them through this very hard training. My son, Ethan, is a CrossFit coach at a gym. I went to the gym. I said, son, I want you to put my team through the fire, and I want them to work really hard, not just because of the fitness. I need them to be in shape because there's a lot of running in soccer, but there's a bonding element. There's this bonding experience where these people come together, and they go through something that's really hard, and then they, they bond with each other, and <clears throat> that was happening. They were, they were suffering together for a good reason, but they were bonding, and I even had this one freshman, the, the dad told me, he goes, man, my, 
My son, it's his first, this is his first experience with high school soccer. And then he went home to his brother, who's in eighth grade, who's going to play next year. And he said, you have no idea. <clears throat> you have no idea. Now, I start with that illustration because Christians bond together through a, a common experience. And that is saved by grace through Jesus Christ. It makes it unique in the world. No one else in the world could, could share that. And it means I could travel on a plane to the other side of the planet and run into this Christian and we have this conversation like, you're a brother in Christ. And we have this unity because of a common thing. And you can go all over the planet and find people that have this experience, teams that have worked hard, come together and won championships, and they may not even know each other, but but for Christians, we have the same Heavenly Father. He calls us a family. We have brothers and sisters in that family. And to, to be somebody who was lost, who was in rebellion, who realizes I'm a sinner and I need saving, and then to throw yourself at the grace of God and He brings you into His family and He accepts you and He cleans you and He walks you through this process of making you whole and wholesome and clean and you find somebody like that and you can connect. And you remember the story of Christ and the, and the prostitute and they threw her down at His feet and they said, we're supposed to stone her. And Jesus said, after He paused, let he who is without sin throw the first stone, right? And uh, in that story, to me, the interesting part is that the first people to drop their rocks and walk away are the old people. And do you know why? It says because they knew how sinful they were. The longer you live, you realize, wow, I have done a lot of rebellion. And the more mature you get, you realize I am more sinful than I ever thought I was. I keep finding new things I need to conform to Christ. I thought I was there, and then something else is shown. You do that over and over again. And we bond with people who, you know how much Christ has changed me? There's a unity there. And I'm going to lay out the big thing that I want you to grab onto today, is that there should be a unity in here, and your deepest friendships should be in here because you relate to them on the most important thing in the universe, and that is salvation by grace through Jesus Christ. That is deeper. That's why last week when I, I talked a little bit about politics, I was saying that a, that a Christian Republican has more in common with a Democrat Republican than a Republican who's not a Christian, because unity in Christ is so much bigger than everything else. There's a commonality there. Now, Here's what I want to say. Because we, are, we should be so tight like this, like look at that team. They went through fire and it prepared them for winning, winning a championship. And you know, when you step out on that field, they're going to try to pull you apart. You know, they're going to, they're going to you know, hit you and they're going to run at you, and they're going to say things at you, and people in the crowd are going to yell things at you. They're going to pull you apart. And there's a way in which we got to be unified to survive it, to be successful in it. They did it. Christianity can be similar because the world will pull you apart. And what I was saying with that first verse is you realize 
If you seek out friendship with the world, you are could be an enemy of God. You could become an enemy of God. Because you say, Pastor, why is that? Didn't you say go go in the world, be in the be in the world, go to it? Yes, but you can't be of it. You go to the world to bring them into, to serve them, to love them, and to bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But you've got to realize that Jesus, that God, is a burning ball of holy, righteous fire. And anything unclean that gets close to that, it will consume and burn it up. And if you fill yourself with rebellion and the love of temporary things that are sinful, that gets burned up. You can't bring that into God's house. And you can find yourself in that way an enemy of God because God is a God of justice and He will deal with sinful things. And so what I want to say to you is this. We are to be unified. Yes, go out in the world, but it's going to pull you apart. And one of the ways you survive it is unity in the body of Christ. You must plug into the body of Christ in a way that gives you that that you're able to survive, to not be pulled apart, to have an impact, to win for Christ the world. If you are an individual like this thumb, I use this all the time, I know. If I cut it off and it's over there, someone doesn't walk by and look at the thumb and goes, there's Kevin. No, that's a thumb. And it's going to die. It'll wither up because it's not connected to the thing that gives it life. If you are an individual not plugged in and connected to a community of Christians, you will wither and die. The world will pull you apart. Now, here's my, my biggest point I want you to really grab onto. So next slide. We become like the people we hang out with the most. We become like the people we hang out with the most. So think about your friends. I mean, parents think a lot about this. When, we got, when, they, when our kids are going to the teenage years, we're like, who are their friends? We're the friends. We got this, this new friend this year that started hanging out at our house, Daniel. First time he showed up, I'm like, who's this guy? I knew him a little bit, but, you know, I don't know the heart of the guy, you know, because friends can influence your kids. Friends can influence friends. They can be a positive influence or a negative influence. They will become like the people they hang out with the most. Now, I just want to show you how many times this is reinforced in Scripture. And I just put some verses out here on this. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you're with the wise, it's going to rub off on you. You'll be wiser. You'll have a greater wisdom. You'll learn things. You'll see things. It'll rub off on you. But if you're with foolish people, that's going to rub off on you, and it can bring harm to your life. You can suffer because their foolishness becomes your foolishness. Okay, um, that's out of Proverbs in 1 Corinthians third, or, uh, um, 15. It says, bad company corrupts good morals. Oh, for a parent to instill in their kids all these great morals, and then they go out and they run around with bad company, and it changes their morals. You can see this. They could never utter a swear word. And then they hang out with friends who cuss like sailors, and they start cussing. They can impact you. Right? In fact, I didn't ask you this, but you know, the first time Daniel came to our house, he sat at the table, he's like, blah, 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 blah. He just dropped a word. And we all went, oh, you know, I just didn't blink an eye, you know, because he had never been in our house. But I don't ever hear him 
swear at our house now. Now you're really on the hook, Daniel. <laughs> no pressure. But I, my point is, that may, my, maybe that's a positive thing. Maybe we, we smooth some of that language out, maybe, you know. But this is exactly what he's talking about, is that bad company can corrupt good morals in a person. You know, one of the big struggles in youth today is vaping. And you have a kid that, that has never vaped and he hangs out with people who vape and they say, come on, try it. And then they, they get hooked on it and then they can't stop. Then they realize this is not good for me and then they're hooked on it. This is, this is the way in which influence can happen. And I'm trying to show you through scripture that it's all through Old Testament and New Testament. Proverbs 22 says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now that's interesting because this isn't a group. It's not bad company. It's singular. Just one. You better notice this quality in one, just one singular person. If they're prone to losing their temper and anger and it comes out of them, it says you can learn their ways. Just one person can have bad influence. And the, the last part there is you might find yourself entangled in a snare. You're with them and, and, and you're losing their temper and it, the, this argument's happening. It turns into a fight and you're part of it. They ain't just throwing punches at that guy. They're throwing punches at you too because you're part of it. You're entangled in it. Watch out, it says. Just a singular person. My next verse, you had to split these up, huh? Whoever walks with the wise, no, oh, that's the same ones, uh, becomes wise, but the companion of fools, uh, oh, you're adding them, sorry, as we go. They got smaller. <laughs> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. I love this one because it shows kind of gradation where you're moving from one thing to the next. It's not that bad. I, I'm just walking, right? I'm just walking. I'm not around them all the time. You go from walking to standing, standing in their midst. And then you go from standing to sitting, okay? Now you have a more permanent presence. And each one, it's a, it's, it's a company you don't want to be with. There's, there's the wicked. There's the way of sinners, the scoffers. How many of you have sat with scoffers in the last two or three years with everything that's going on? I'm going to scoff at what I'm hearing and what the leaders are doing. I'm going to scoff at that other side over there. You may have been progressing like that. And there's a warning. And do you know what he goes on to say in Psalms is destruction for this group. But the person who delights in what God's word says will be like a tree planted next to water. A tree planted to water flourishes. That's who you want to be. So you're seeing warning again. Um, next verse, I'm just giving you individual verses here, is out of Psalms. No, it's out of uh, Proverbs again. Proverbs, Proverbs 26. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Now, I like this one because this one is just talking about conversation. You're just having a conversation, and the conversation is folly. And he's saying, whoa, watch it. 
even just a conversation, you can get sucked in and then you yourself become like them. So just imagine you're at an airport and you you know, that's a temporary, I don't live there, you know, but you have to sit there sometimes for some hours and you're next to a person and you get sucked into this, this discussion, this, this, it's folly and it becomes this argument. Maybe it's over politics, maybe it's over the, the company and, and the airlines and what they've done, who knows, but you get sucked into it and you're becoming like the person. That negative vibe is suddenly coming out of you, you know, and then I add this, I added this verse on out of Titus 3. It says, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. I think many of us are unaware of this instruction from Scripture. Because we keep entangling ourselves with argumentative people. You should make a note. That's an argumentative person. They like to argue for the sake of arguing. And... They cause division. Some of the hardest people I have ever had to pastor fit this. They just have opinions and they want to thrust them out there and they cause divisions. And I've actually done this. Look, this is really causing division. And you, just like he says, one warning, two warnings. After the second warning, if they still don't want to change, don't keep going there. Why do you do it? Because you're going to get the same thing. It's not winning the argument. It's a matter of the heart. They don't want to change. Now, what am I showing you in all this? Do you see how each of these verses, in just a little way, is showing you how you can be influenced? And now, in, a, in an even bigger scale, I would say this. If you're hanging out all the time with people that these verses are describing, you're going to be influenced. You're going to become like them. You become like those who you spend the most time with. So, a great example of this, though, in a positive way, the disciples, right? Because the disciples became like Christ. He took them, he invested in them, and then he made them, over time, grow and mature in the gospel, become more like him. I put a couple thoughts down on this. They moved from self-centeredness to putting the needs of others first. You can see, as an example, Mark 10, they're arguing over the privileged seat to a couple of them come to Jesus on the side. Hey, when we get to heaven, can we have a seat that's next to you? You know, and then the other disciples find out, hey, wait a minute. How come you get to have a private conversation about a privileged seat next to Christ? The whole conversation is selfishly motivated. It's not like these disciples are like, you know, I really want them to have a seat. But do you think I? it was not that it was how do we get the good seat next to you? That's their mindset. Self-centered. By the end They've been transformed. I'm going to give my life away for other people. Jesus changed them. Okay. Then, uh, after moving from self-orientation to being others-oriented, we see another change in them. They move towards a God-centered motivation. And, and when you look at the disciples, there's a lot of ways where their interaction with Christ was, was totally devoid of what is God doing. Because whatever God's doing, that's his will. I need to be in his will. A lot of it is God doesn't understand what needs to happen here. It's centered around their own wisdom and things. Like, like the examples I use, Matthew 16, Jesus is talking about how he's going to have to die, right? And then Peter takes Jesus aside and instructs Jesus. God would never let that happen. 
how can you say that? Don't say that. Oh, that's just got to be like, wouldn't you love to be a fly on that wall to see Jesus' face? You're instructing me. I'm Jesus. You know, I am truth. There is no untruth that comes out of me. If I say I'm going to die, it's part of God's plan. You're telling me, and Jesus had to rebuke him. And then in other ways, you see, uh, they come to take Jesus away. Peter pulls the sword out, cuts the ear off, right? And then Jesus, stop, put the sword away, heals the ear. Peter's like, this can't be the plan. I got my own plan. I'm going to force my plan to happen, right? And then you go to, well, this is one of my favorites in John 9 is when they go to this town and they're not received. And then on the way out, the disciples say this, they didn't receive us, so you give us the word, we'll call fire down and consume them with flames. Let's really stick it to them. Jesus, come on. I'm feeling an inner Elijah. Call fire down from heaven. And Jesus has to rebuke them. No, that's not the way we are. And why? In each of those, you're seeing their heart, like their, their own wisdom. They're oriented around their own understanding. And but they hung around Jesus, and in time, they got it, right? They moved towards being God-centered in motivation and purpose. This is what happens when you hang around the right people. And then lastly, they grow in their desire to serve and lead. I love this part because it's like all of the crowds and all these people and all the jobs that come from that. If there's less people, there's less jobs. And and, you know, how are we going to feed 5,000? And here come the little children. Get them away. That's even worse. You know, why do we have to have all these little kids around? Jesus said, hey, suffer the little children to come unto me, right? He had to, he had to reorient them there. You know, that, that it's exhausting. Ministry is exhausting. Let's shrink it down. No. And in the end, this is what I'm giving you. You're going to be like those who you hang around. Jesus took these men invested, gave his life away, poured into them, and they changed. They became like him. They became Christ-like. I think the greatest evidence of that is that all of them die a martyr's death except for John. History records that. How can you, I mean, that's like the, maybe what epitomizes Christ-likeness, because Jesus actually gave his life away for others, and that's what they did in the end. A complete change in them. So, this is the first point. You will become like those who you hang around with. Now, number two, spiritual friends and family lead us to this Christ-likeness. Jesus is gone. He sits at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, yes. But the tool God uses to lead you towards that Christ-likeness is the family of God, the membership of this body. Any church body that's a legitimate church, he uses that. So in here, the first thing <clears throat> I put is Christianity begins with an introduction to him. I don't know if you can remember. I, I always like to ask the question, who led you to Christ? There's someone. I was five. My father led me. I remember some of the details. I don't remember everything about it, but there did come a time later in my life where I had to really reaffirm it in my heart that, yes, that was a real genuine thing. I mean, when you're five, you don't understand everything. But I did give my, I understood I'm a sinner. I need Christ. And later I affirmed that in my life. I was baptized later than two when I was a little bit older, just as part of that affirmation process. But sometimes when, we, when I talk about this with people, 
they don't remember or they were baptized when they were an infant and now they've, they've never had another moment in their life like that was when they were saved. And, I, and I'll say, well, when you're an infant, you cannot put your faith in Christ. So at least in that, you have to have had another time where you really affirmed it. See this? And so sometimes I'm sitting with someone, they were baptized when they were an infant, we're talking about this. I say, you know what the Bible says? If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Do you believe it? Yes. You believe it in your heart? Yes. And you're saying it now? Yes. You're saved. That's what it takes to be saved, is to, to, to speak out the faith that exists in here. I believe that Jesus was real, the Son of God, and died for me because I'm a sinner. That's what it takes to be saved. But someone leads you in that. My father led me. Who led you? But this whole pathway to Christ's likeness starts with that. It starts with, with somebody who's helping lead you in that. Um, and so I would say that two examples that I put down here, you've got the woman at the well in John 4. Where they're having this conversation and they get towards the end and she says, we are waiting on the Messiah. He's going to come. And Jesus is like, I am he. I'm him. I am that very person, right? And there's this realization. In that case, Jesus himself led her to himself. But the other example I gave you is Acts 8, where Philip <clears throat> introduces Christ to the eunuch. They're in, the, they're in the, the, the chariot, and he's reading portions of Isaiah, I think it is. And, and um, um, he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? Not really. Um, I, I need a teacher. And so he says, I can do that. And he leads him and to understand what it's saying, and he puts his faith in Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah that this very Isaiah is talking about. There's some water. Let's get baptized. And he takes them right over there, and they get baptized right there in the moment. But he's led. And so I, I'm making the point that the, this Christ-likeness thing, it's a pathway, and the first thing that I would say is, is we're led into it by someone. The second thing I would say is that Christian growth happens when being taught about him. So in this community, there needs to be teachers. Some of us are more farther along in our walk. We can help someone who's a brand new baby Christian to understand how to walk in faith. Some of us know a lot more about this. We're going to teach others about it. The examples I give are, first of all, intentional discipleship. Very intentional, like I'm the teacher, you're the student. Let me teach you. Okay? I'm not talking about we just got together for coffee and we're just talking and, and who's the real teacher here? It's whoever has the strongest opinion and can out-debate the other. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a recognized teacher and the recognized student. And I, I got Apollos and there's this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, where in Acts, Apollos is talking and he sure sounds like he knows a lot, but he's missing major parts. He's missing the main thing about the gospel. And Priscilla and Aquila come along and are like, look, you know a lot, but let us fill in the gaps for you because you're missing the gospel piece. And they, he says, yes, you got this couple become the teacher. He's the student. They're discipling him. And he goes from being this, this student to being, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, look, some of you say, I am of Paul. Some of you say, I am of Apollos. <gasps> well, he all of a sudden is at a level of Paul, that's the kind of 
mature teaching Christian he became on the level with Paul. And it was because of Aquila and Priscilla, intentional teaching and discipleship to grow them up or to fill in those gaps. And then another way uh, for Christian growth, not just the intentional discipleship, but I, I came across this word agglomeration spiritually though. And uh, what this word means is when you have a density of the same kind of people in one area, you grow because of that density. So I use the words physical proximity and location. I know I just lost a lot of you there, but, but think of it this way. If you want to be really good in the computer tech industry, where do you go? What valley? Silicon Valley. Why? It's densely populated with everyone who's good in that. If you want to be really good in finance, people say go to New York. It's densely populated with that. If you want to be good in the movies, where do you go? Hollywood. You catch my drift here. If you want to really grow in Christ, where do you go? To a community of believers who got some maturity in them because it can help you grow. That's what it means. I just used that word, which applied to all those secular business settings. It's, it has a, can have a spiritual application. And, and when you come together in that setting, I just wrote a couple notes down about this. Here's what happens. The community works on us. And this, is, this comes out of, 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 those, of, the, of the tech and business. The community works on us. There's the, they understand the value of this dense work environment. The face-to-face -face contact leads to more trust and generosity and cooperation than any other sort of interaction. And that's what they found. And there is a calling to Christians to, to implant themselves in a dense area of Christians. That's why if you're going to go out into that world, it's going to try to pull you apart. You've got to come back in and be connected where the density of Christian maturity can work on you, giving you that life. Now, spiritual friends and family lead us in this Christ-likeness. The last point on this is relational depth grows when observing Christian community. Now, this point to me is the opposite of the, of the intentional discipleship. Intentional discipleship is, 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 is there's some knowledge base here, and i got to pass that on through some type of apparatus, whether it's a book, whether we sit down. But what I'm talking about here is we're just together, and there's something about being together that I glean from you about God or about Christ that I will not get on my own. I see something in the way that your, your, your Christianity is with, with Christ that I, I don't see when I'm just on my own. My brother, Matt, many of you know, very witty guy, good humor. He's kind of known for that. And when I grew up in high school, there was me and my brother Matt, best friends with our other best friend, David Zapp was his name. And we did everything together. I could tell you some stories. Jumping off of roofs at a local school into the pool, crazy stuff. Not that crazy. We, I guess that's, that's as crazy as it got. I don't want you to fill in the blank with really bad stuff. <laughs> but just really close friends. But here's the thing about my brother Matt. When we were together... In fact, if you added a fourth, his name was Jesse, or this other guy, he wanted 
to draw out of them the laughters and the wit, the, the wit came out more. When it's just me and him and there's these witty, sarcastic jokes, it's like, shut up. Quit snapping at me. But when there's other people around, I saw something that came out of him that I never saw at a level when it's just us two. Does that make sense? And that's how it is with our faith. There's something about when two or three are together, you see something, how they relate to how, how the Holy Spirit, how Christ comes out in them that you don't see when it's just you two. Because you can't draw it out of them like, like the other people do. And so there's this coming together that, that the relational depth with you and your Savior can grow because of how you see your Savior interacting with a different brother or sister in Christ. That's the main point there. And I, I really built this out of a story that I heard about other friends, and I inserted Matt as my example, but these three friends were Charles, uh, Lewis, and Ronald, and in this story, uh, Charles died. And uh, then Lewis thought that he and Ronald were going to be closer because it was just two of them. And then he learned that he couldn't uh, see everything in Ronald that, that he saw when Charles was with him. And I, this, actually this quote, this Lewis guy, you might know him. His name is C.S. Lewis. That's what most people know him by. And I put a quote up here by him. And I want to read it to you when they change the slide. Um, C.S. Lewis, far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third, and three by a fourth. We possess each friend not less but more, as the number of those with whom we share him increases. In this, Friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven. For every soul, seeing him in their own way, communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That is why the seraphim and Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. I think there's a lot of power in that statement. By the way, Ronald is known by the name J.R. Tolkien. And the thing I find most notable about that is who wants to be Charles in that three-person relationship? Nobody knows Charles. There's C.S. Lewis, the giant writer, and J.R. Tolkien, the giant writer, and Charles. What did that guy do? And yet, you would think, get Charles out of the room, because the two big mega writers, if you don't know, it's Lord of the Rings and Narnia, those two writers... They could really have a field day in conversation. It's almost like we're having this conversation. Like, come on, I want to hear what Tolkien has to say. And yet when Charles died, Lewis was like, I have less of J.R. Tolkien. I had more of him when Charles was here. The, 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 le the least famous of the three. Now, I want to tell you what uh, another writer said about Lewis's point here. He says... Even a human being is too rich and multifaceted a being to be fully known one-on-one. -on -one. You think you know someone, but you alone can't bring out all that is in a person. You need to see the person with others. And if this is true with another human being, how much more so with the Lord? You can't really know Jesus by yourself. It's an interesting 
thought to fold into all this that we're studying today. But how it folds into this point is it's God's family. It's, it's the members of this church. You plug into them. We're introduced to Christ. We're grown in Christ. We're matured in Christ. We see Christ in different ways because of that community. Now, let me just wrap this up. I'm going to take you to my last point, which is you need spiritual community more than they need you. You need it. And sometimes we think about the community groups, you know, the, this one's too small and, and, and we, we could get more people. We could have more groups. It's a metric for the church and we need people in these groups. But I'm just going to tell you, you need the groups. The groups don't need you. You need them because it's where you grow. You need it to grow. You need it. If I'm saying to you last week, go into the world, win it for Jesus Christ, but it's going to pull you apart. It's going to pull you apart. You need to come back here on a regular basis and plug in. If you're somebody who's out on the periphery and you're not that plugged into church, you need to get plugged in. You need to build relationships in the church. And I just kind of wanted to summarize this point. And these are the three thoughts I put here. Community can link you to people not like you. That's going to challenge you. Birds of a feather flock together. Sometimes we want to just go and be with the people we like. But you don't grow in those. Other kinds of people will challenge you. The church is notorious and famous throughout history for collecting some of the most marginalized people in society. And God needs you to minister to them. I mean, just look at Jesus Christ. He sat with the tax collectors, right? The outcasts. Why? When you come into the church, there's going to be people that are not exactly like you. They may be high achievers. You're not. They may be, I really like uh, these hobbies and you don't. I really want to study theology and I'm not that interested in theology. All these things kind of mix together and God uses them to grow you. Community brings out what's in our hearts. When you have interactions with people, right, it comes out, comes out. What, what is in the heart of man is what reveals if Jesus himself said what comes out of the man is what, what defiles us, not what goes into the mouth. And when we have these interactive relationships, we can hear. We're in, a, we're in a group, we can hear how a husband talks to his wife. We can hear how uh, parents, what they say to their children. You can see how siblings interact. You can see these things in community. So we can speak into the lives of others. Community sees things we are blind to. Now this is, to me, one of the biggest points because you're more sinful than you know. This is what Tim Keller always says. You're more sinful than you could ever imagine, but you're more loved than you could ever hope for. But how do you, how do you deal with the sin if you don't even know it's there? Now, anytime I do marriage counseling, I come to this point where I talk to this, like a, a young couple that are going to get married, and I'm always like, we want to go all the way to the grave. We're going to build a foundation here. And here's an important piece. Number one, you want deep intimacy. You don't want to have a married couple and one of them has greater intimacy with someone else outside that. You want your greatest intimacy with that marriage partner. You get great intimacy with great vulnerability. You have to be able to open yourself up and say, this is who I am or else you're hiding things. 
But to be vulnerable is to say, I'm going to show you who I am, and I know that you won't reject me. This is the picture of our relationship with Christ. He already knows everything. You can't hide it, and yet he doesn't reject you, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Paul writes. Nothing. And in, in this marriage relationship, that's what we strive for. This is who I am. I got to be vulnerable. But the thing is, is when you're like, you're not married yet, and you're, you're talking about right now, we want to build something for the future. I, sometimes I say to them, down the road, you're going to find some things in there that you don't like. You're going to find it because they're hiding it. You're going to find it because they don't even know it's there. You can't know all the sinfulness. Like, like a little child doesn't know everything. You have to teach them some things, right? And a, a baby Christian doesn't know everything that's sinful. And so, so when you find it, like true uh, um, vulnerability matched with, with true intimacy, I mean, the intimacy is so deep because you can give all your, of yourself to them without fear. Now, in the community, this is, this is the way I'm speaking this to you is that we need to have deeper relationships in God's community. Because even like a young married couple, they need to learn from, from an older married couple. There's things they don't know that an older couple can tell them. We don't know all this, the, the sin that can be in a person. You must build deeper relationships. Look what Christ did with those disciples. They walked the road of life together. They lived life together. They got deep. And if you are just a periphery person, you can't have that. You can't have that depth. And there's a level where you can't grow. And I go back to that, that dense density that you can learn from. You can come in to this, and sometimes if you're a young man and a new Christian, find yourself an older man that's a Christian. If you're young parents, find two older parents. That, that density of, of culture within a church of Christian maturity, you come into that and find things and grow and learn in those relationships. And this is how we, we, I put all these things together. You're going you're gonna to become like the people you hang out with the most. God uses the community uh, of his people to lead you to Christ, to lead you to Christ-likeness, and this point, you need it. You need it. Now, I'm going to finish with the slide that I started with, friendship and membership. Do you have friendship in membership? Are you part of a church in, and you're plugging in and connecting? You need it. Do you have more friends or most of your friends are outside the church? And Because in culture, there's a lot of people that, that church is just a Sunday thing. You know, you come and I got it. And then you go away from it. Just think about your life. Do you have friends that I'm talking about at this level that you would want to be around, or at least at a head level you want to be around because you know that you're going to become like them? If you don't, you need to plug in more. Because this verse that I took out of James, it talks about enemies of God. To win the culture for Christ you can't become friends with the culture. You'll find yourself an enemy of God. You must go out into the culture to win it, like we talked about last week, but you need to come back and plug in in a way to get life, to get discipleship, to get strength, to get, grow, to, to get growth, so that that unity 
just like the team at the beginning, you can go all the way to win. Win the culture for Christ. Lord, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you, Lord, for a multiplicity of places in your word where you talk about this friendship factor. Our greatest friends should be our brothers and sisters in Christ. We share a unity saved by the grace of God through our faith. Nothing can compare to that. Sometimes we feel like our closest friends are, are based on affinity. We like sports, they like sports. We like politics, they like politics. We like an outdoor activity, they like an outdoor activity. But your word says our deepest friends should be united around relationship in Christ. And you change us through those relationships. So I pray that this church would receive the exhortation of your word to plug in, to connect. Are we connected? Are we connecting to people? Are we connecting to ministries? And use today and the next couple Sundays as we build this out of your word and help us to respond in a way that shows we're learning and growing and being obedient to you and build a community here that gives life so that we can go out and win the culture for Christ. In his name, amen. Let's stand and we'll worship together as we close this service.